0: Hey everyone, Dark Spider David here with Lucky Number Slevin of Season 2 of the Dark Spider cast. I'm gonna try my best to keep these things timely, and I feel like uh, this week is a little bit of a better case, thankfully. I know last week's lagged a little bit, but this time I was like, you know what? Got some time right now earlier in the week than before, so I might as well get that kind of going and up for you guys. Especially since I am in the midst of planning another batch uh, segment of content to be shot back to back uh, on one of these days that I'm off, especially right now with the way things are going. So, as I mentioned on last week's podcast, especially since it was happening in real time, as I you know, as the news and the updates were developing uh, amongst the recording of that episode, uh, I discovered uh, as I recorded that my girlfriend did come up positive for COVID. So, a little bit of an update on that. Not too big of a deal. It's honestly she's starting to get better, but of course. So many unknown variables. Like we don't know if she's now negative, if she's just asymptomatic, but she still happens to be carrying it. Who knows? Like we legitimately have to wait for an updated uh, test, and she does have one scheduled for Friday. But that, that's the thing. Is like it's Friday, and it's coming up on the weekend. I don't know if they're gonna rush. Cause here's what's happened with me. I went and got tested this past Friday. To obviously, you know, be safe and, and make sure that I, don't, I didn't get anything because obviously she's my girlfriend. Who knows if we had contact around the time of New Year's, you know, who's to say she might have had it a little earlier and could have passed it on to me. And now it's just asymptomatic because I had the vaccine, etc. So, you know, trying to navigate all this has been a, a, a task. Not just, you know, for the, you know, you know in relation to my girlfriend, but just like the world in general. So, you know, getting the results has been kind of a mixed bag for her. It actually took quite a while, you know, on that stream or that podcast. Sorry, I'm still on the mindset that I'm streaming. But in that podcast that I was recording, it had been already like three or four days since she had tested. I tested on Friday and I got my results saying that I was negative the next day. The next day. To so the point where it's like I equate it to when you go to a restaurant they tell you it's going to be like 10 or 15 minutes to get your food but you get it in like 5 but instead of being happy that you're getting your food right away you're kind of like is this cooked all the way you know did you did you take any shortcuts here and should I be worried that's kind of how i felt when i got those results where i was like you sure you you didn't use like some prior uh prior results or prior uh, samples that you got the day before the day uh before that even um, to speed things along because, you know, you had the weekend coming up, so you wanted to, or maybe because the weekend was coming up, maybe they pulled a double duty or double time on those results, on those samples, and they got the whole, because this is the fastest turnaround that I've ever gotten. So here's the hoping that a faster turnaround would happen with my girlfriend. She is going to a different place than before. Um, before, you know, like I said, it was Kaiser Permanente. It took them about, like I said, three or four days. This time, she's actually using the same outlet that I've been using called Fulgenix. so all you have to do is just input your insurance information see if it gets verified for coverage and if it does c- cool you're good to go you just matter of, it's just a matter of scheduling and it looks like it's the exact same w- method that i used she's even going to the one of the same uh testing spots i haven't used this testing spot since last year but uh she's going to that place so i'm like all right yeah like i said their turnaround time is good that maybe god willing you'll get res- your results no later than sunday Best case scenario, Saturday, just like I did, because like I said, when I tested on Friday, I was full on ready to not get my results until Monday because it's like it's the weekend. But then I thought about like how this is covid. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, we'll wait until Monday, you know, to get that. It's like, no, you know, it's fucking it's a it's a health issue. It's a health hazard. So it's like it's seven days a week. It's got to be seven days a week. Um, so because I, I'm like, uh, it's possible that hopefully she'll get them by Sunday or maybe even if she gets lucky, like I did Saturday, like I did where I tested uh Friday and then Saturday I got my results. So hopefully we'll find out by Saturday. And if that's the case, uh, if she comes up negative, hopefully we can finally you know see each other, hang out, maybe even go somewhere this, this weekend, as far as like uh, restaurant, whatever. But that's the thing it's it, sure we'll be able to like go out, but at the same time, it's also a question of whether or not we should go out, because outside of my girlfriend, just you know, we're seeing the numbers rise up. We're starting to see companies and things and a bunch of stuff take like pre- hefty precautions, hefty that are reminiscent of when this thing first broke out in March of 2020. Uh, we have a lot more movies getting delayed. We have uh, corporations and retail stores shortening their hours, surprisingly. Uh, my girlfriend even said that, uh, her being absent from work actually ended up working out because they're pretty much giving her hours to other people that they were going to cut hours on anyways, because due to the pandemic, they were going to start shortening those, um, operating hours as well. Um, I don't know the specifics, but I know that for example, Best Buy, uh, since I know from a, from a friend of mine who still works there that they cut, uh, I think like the opening hour. So instead of opening at 10, they open at 11 now. And now instead of closing at 9, they close at 7. So it's only 8 hours every day. I think it's maybe a little bit earlier on Sundays. I can't exactly tell. I can't remember. Um, and it sucks, too, because now people who thought it had mid-shifts are now there literally all day. Which sounds, it should sound fine because it's only 8 hours, but it's not. It's terrible. You know why? Because now you have to pull triple duty. You work basically an opening, mid, and closing shift. The hours don't extend, but you're doing more of the work. You have to open the store the way openers do, and then you have to close it, and then you have to work your way in the middle, the natural way. So even though your hours are not extended, your workload is practically triple. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, fucking raise the minimum there. Because that's, you you know, you're literally asking for more, even if you're not actually increasing the hours. It's like, it's, it's nuts. It's insane. I'm so glad I don't work there anymore. Dear God. But... Yeah, that's the thing with, with COVID right now that even I'm thinking to myself, yeah, even if my girlfriend comes out negative and she's back to normal and she's practically at 100%, which she almost is physically, uh, for save for sadly and tragically her sense of smell and taste, she says that it's kind of off. Like sometimes she, she can smell and taste and then other times she can't and she gets sad because she's genuinely hungry, but she can't really taste the food all that much. So that's the only part that she's genuinely hurting in. Otherwise, she's fine. Um, but even if she gets back to 100% and she's in the clears, she's negative, the plan was going to be to go see No Way Home in 40X. Now I don't want to go to a movie theater. I don't. I'm kind of glad that Morbius got delayed. Um, and we don't really have anything big until probably the Batman. So at least we got some time for this thing to kind of... Um, placate somewhat because I do feel like it's getting an anchor. It's getting a boost, no pun intended, from it being the flu season overall, being cold, you know, people are huddled together. But thankfully, you know, like I said, more places are shutting down, postponing things will hopefully bring a sense of, um, uh, Diffusion to that or or diluting the whole situation, at least as best as possible. Uh, I've seen on my feed that some places have uh, shut down their venues and because of that, they had to close uh, or shut down or cancel certain conventions or events. I follow a website called Double Toasted on Instagram, Twitch and YouTube. And on their Instagram, they probably announced it on Twitch as well. But on Instagram, they announced that one of their upcoming shows in Miami had to be canceled because the venue said, no, we're not doing this. And then, you know, you have the likes of, like I said, big conglomerates like Disney, who were going to release movies in theaters, and now they're like, yeah, we're just going to drop this on Disney+. Plus Now, granted, I don't know if that's, like, telling of the quality of the movie, but it, one of their Pixar movies, Turning Red, coming up, uh, is going to be dropping on Disney+, Plus now, instead of the movie theaters. So, when you have corporations shortening hours, and then movie studios, big, giant, m- tentpole, mega-movie studios, taking movies out of the theater and being like, yeah, we're going to drop it on the streaming service. It's like, okay, you know, it, it's looking a lot like 2020 again, original 2020. Um, and frankly, you know, whether you agree or not, we really just got ourselves to blame because out of every country in the world, it looks like we're the stupidest. <laughs> it really does because we're, we're over here. We have like so much advanced technology and procedures and all the infrastructure to make this, you know, better than what it is, and we're choosing not to. You know, we're seeing the store. I see the sign saying we enforce wearing a mask. And yet I still see people inside not wearing a mask. Because we don't want to tell them anything. Because everybody's scared to tell them anything. I will back up and give you a look like, you know, especially if you start coughing or sneezing and you're not wearing your mask. I will back the fuck up. And if you get offended by that, tough. Move on with your fucking life. Anyways... Uh, Especially while you have a life, because sadly, (laughs) I don't know if that was a really clever or really terrible segue, but, you know, for those of us who still have a life, um, you know, we we definitely need to um, consider it precious, especially after the, what is it, like the two weeks, not even two weeks that we've had of 2022, and we already had to say goodbye to quite an awful lot of people. Obviously, you know, the year practically started with the passing of Betty White, even though officially she was 2021, the last day of 2021, December 31st, at the age of 99. But since then, we've last lost a couple of other people. Um, I don't. I think he was also 2021. I don't remember it being 2022, but John Madden, the NFL legend, uh, passed away, um, which is sad. But at the same time, this also t- doesn't mean that they're going to stop making Madden games, unfortunately. Uh, and then we also also have two other ones. One of which I was like, yeah, it was, it was kind of getting getting kind of up there. Sidney Portier at the age of ninety four, the as a lot of outlets called him the trailblazing star, uh, because not only was he the first African American uh, to win best the best actor Oscar for, um, it wasn't in the heat of the night. It was another one. I can't remember what the other, the name of the other movie was, but that wasn't it. He was nominated for it. He's most famous for In the Heat of the Night, where he's like, Hey, call me Mr. Tips. Uh, that's mainly where I know him from. And, of course, a bunch of other stuff that he's acted in, Who Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and then a bunch of other big uh, movies from the 60s and 70s. And then since then, it, it, during that time and then since then, he's been a huge um, social-political uh, activist, you, you know, doing all the works, doing all the great stuff out there. and. Yeah, you know, ninety four, um, passed away. I think it was last week, and uh, peacefully. Well, I can't remember. If it, <laughs> I, I don't remember anybody saying peacefully, but at ninety four, it's like you know, it's just, again, just like with Betty White and Stanley, it's like it was their, it was their time. It was their time to call it, and they butted out. Um, and they were beloved by like not a single, barely a single person has anything bad to say about them. So, uh, rest in peace, Sidney Portier. But then the one that just completely sidelined a lot of people was Bob Saget uh, last week, I believe. At the age, at the very, you know, pretty much young age these days of 65. 65 years old. I mean, my dad is only like three or four years younger than him. And at 65, uh, and it's never a good sign. I mean, obviously they haven't confirmed a cause of death. But it's never a good sign when they start using terms, especially coming out of TMZ when it first broke. It's never a good sign where they start using terminology like "found dead" in the hotel or in the in their condo or in their home of like I think I was in Florida or something, and then knowing that it was you know he was 65 years old, it's it's there's some dots here that do make make you wonder. Okay, was there some foul play? Was it an overdose? Considering that they haven't confirmed the cause of death yet, it's it's possible that maybe they do know the death and they're just waiting. Because I know that a lot of people remember him as the dad from Full House and a great comedian and a kind person. But if they say right now that it was apparently some kind of um, heinous drug or, or whatever, it's not going to look all that great, and they're going to just wait some time to confirm that. Um, but you know that things are not looking good for when, or looking all too bright for when they use terms like "found dead" or was, um, you know, discovered dead in, uh, or passed away in the, in the in their home, and they're not disclosing any other further details. Still, however, it doesn't take away from the tragicness that is, you know, just dying at 65. And then, like I said, a lot of people who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s of Full House and his comedy acts, and then of course AFV. I mean, the, the guy showing us, you know, YouTube videos before, you, they were YouTube videos before YouTube, <laughs> before uh, Tom Bergeron and then a couple of other, and then Alfonso, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro took over. He was the OG of America's Funniest Videos, and uh, I distinctly do remember, I watched Tom a little more, but I do remember catching some of his later episodes of AV of uh, Bob Saget's episodes, and uh, having that, you know, dry, deadpan sense of humor as he watched these videos of people doing some stupid shit and you can tell that he was right right there with us as far as like watching this video so that's pretty much my fondest memory i didn't really i didn't really watch full house all that much to be honest i wasn't really that big of a full house person i just i, I don't know what it was i just didn't get into it when it came to the 90s it was an awful lot of disney stuff abc slash disney stuff when it came to sitcoms as far as like boy meets world smart guy uh, maybe a little bit of sister sister, um, a little bit of Brotherly love, uh, n- definitely not Full House or Saved by the Bell or an awful lot of the Nickelodeon stuff or the you know Saturday morning Nick stuff. I, I just I I don't know what it was, but I just never uh clicked with those uh, 100%. It was it was actually kind of miraculously the, miraculous that I caught some some of those sitcoms to begin with because I was mostly of a cartoon guy with like Gargoyles and Batman, Spider-Man, all that stuff. So. The fact that I was still able to gravitate towards Boy Meets World, especially when I was on late at night and catching some of the stuff, that's that was my gateway to, to sitcom. So it wasn't really Full House, but I knew about Full House, I knew about the Olsen twins, and I also knew about Stamos and Bob Saget and their their the roles that they played there and how significant they were. So rest in peace Bob Saget, this was truly surprising, but here's to hoping that you and Norm now are making each other laugh. do 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 now on to what I've been playing, so it's funny, because both of these games I technically started last week, and I could have talked about last week, but there was already an, an awful lot on the itinerary for last week as far as news, and then talking about my game of the year, It, it was just, especially since one of those games from the game of the year discussion was something that I was playing to try to catch up during that week, which was Halo Infinite, if you guys want to go check that out as far as my impressions of Halo Infinite, and then what ended up being in my top 5, check that other podcast out it was it's the very last episode so there it is but as far as what I've been playing this week that it technically still bleeds on over from last week I'm trying to of course put a dent into my backlog especially since I know that the majority of this month and maybe even a little bit of February and I'll kind of talk about that as we get into the two topics that I have for this week's podcast uh enter coming up here uh it's very much related actually to one of those topics But being that there is at least a good chunk of time, almost a month's worth of time, between now and my first, what I consider to be my first day one release of the year, I figured, you know what, it's time to take a whack. A very hefty whack at my backlog, or backlogs, I should say. And so I went into what is arguably my biggest backlog. Both physically and digitally, which is PlayStation. I'm just gonna call it PlayStation because it's a pretty much a combo of PS4 and PS5 games. Most, it's like 90% PS4 and only like 5%, or 95% PS4, 5% PS5. Uh, And the reason why I say I have to just call it PlayStation is because even though they're PS4 games, I'm playing them on my PS5 because that's the only PlayStation console I have out right now. Uh, The PS4 is put away. I don't know what's going to happen to it, but that's my only PlayStation console that I'm utilizing right now. So therefore, that's where it's at. And so I looked at my list. I even gave it a bit of a revision. I I, I actually ended up making it even longer because there's some games that have been added because of PlayStation Plus digitally, and there's been a couple of others that I simply just bought, whether it be through Black Friday or some deals. Um, recently I picked up Bio, Bio Mutant for about ten bucks, as well as of course Guilty Gear Strive from Black Friday. A couple of more PlayStation Plus games have been added. Persona 5 Strikers was free this month, uh, for PS Plus owners, so I added that to the library. As well as the backlog list. And so it's increased and grown exponentially to the point where I'm like, I don't think this will ever be done. I, this, this backlog, at least for PlayStation at least, is never going to be finished, uh, theoretically. So all I can do is just try to play as I go along. And I figured, you know what, out of all these games, there's some games on here from 20, either 2015 or 2016 that I still have not played. And it's been a good while we're catching up on here almost six years since these games have been out and I have not played them. And they're under my possession. I own them both physically and digitally. We got to get to them. And so amongst that first batch, I have a plethora of physical games here in front of me that are stacked up for me to just crack open and get ready to pump them in. But the first one that I did so... Especially since I have this new job coming up, and I figure, you know what, I need to start with an open world game. It doesn't have to be the longest game, but it has to be one that takes up a good chunk of my time because I know that right now I don't have that full time job taking up too much time. I feel like the shorter experiences are best for when I start the full time job because then I can crank them up with crank them out of the way without worrying about having to be like, oh, I need to play certain amount of time today, but I won't be able to because from nine to six, I work and all this stuff. You know what I mean? So. Right now, with the available time that I have on certain days where I take off from doing the part-time job, and that requires me to get out, and I could just stay at home, I can play this particular game for like five or six hours throughout the day. And that game in particular is Watch Dogs 2. I started Watch Dogs 2, and uh, it's not to say that I was hesitant to it, but I just, the first one I thought was just okay, you know, obviously, you know, along with a lot of people were... Kind of mis, it, we felt like it was misrepresented amongst the marketing up to the lead up in its release and all that stuff. So it's its own beast. So in Watch Dogs Two came out saying it's going to take place in San Francisco. It's going to be brighter, a little bit lighthearted, while at the same time still keeping intact what made the for what were the fun elements or fun-er elements of the first game, which is about being able to hack almost everything. Is pretty much found here. And so far the story of Watch Dogs 2 is that you play as Marcus Halloway, who is a up-and-coming hacker. It's funny because the game just jumps right into his story as far as like not giving him really that much of a build-up or an origin. You're just you're literally playing as him. Like the game starts of him arriving at a building and boom, you're in control. So I you know, I would say that that that's actually a plus against the game where it's like you don't have to watch this opening cinematic, there's no this this big build-up, there's no like, you know. Move the camera with this... No, like, the game literally just starts. It just starts. And immediately, you can actually already start toggling the hacking mechanics as far as pressing the bumpers and being able to, you know, open up stuff and, and, and uh, trigger things and turn things on and off with your, their with your phone. And I'm like, all right, okay, you know, it's jumping right into it. There's no... Uh, I mean... In a matter of speaking, you could turn tutorials on in a heftier manner, but by default, it starts off with just a couple of little lines to say, oh, if you press this, it'll turn that on, but it's ne- there's never like a full-blown tutorial. In fact, this opening level is its own tutorial disguised as an actual level, and I gotta give them credit for, you know, masking it in a way that felt intuitive while at the same time never too hand so I was like, alright, alright, that's pretty decent, that's pretty cool. But as the story kind of unravels, you learn that this opening level was just like a test for, within the story, a test for Marcus to then prove himself to DedSec. And DedSec is this big hacker group from the first game that's dedicated to taking down a conglomerate called CTOS, or Bloom, I'm sorry. Bloom is the company, and then CTOS is the product about ultimate surveillance on everybody. So, big brother versus little brother, or big brother versus the hacker type, <laughs> and that's essentially, you know, the similar story from the first game, only with Aiden Pierce. This time it's with Marcus Halloway, except it kind of trims the fat and kind of recruits this small group that's simply just trying to take down um, Bloom and the CTOS system, all the while getting into some shenanigans. So, and when I say shenanigans, I, I'm getting a little trivial, but, you know, along the way facing hardships and challenges while at the same time testing themselves as a group... But that's ultimately one of the biggest strengths about the game is that Marcus Halloway himself, as well as his team, specifically to me in my opinion, Wrench, uh, who's the guy you know from the posters from the cover art that has the spiked vest with the mask, um, they're really likable and really compelling. You're very much anchored by them. And, and it's not just those two, It's actually the whole team. you like the whole team. They're just my, those two are just my personal favorites amongst you know their banter back, to, back and forth, especially when they're nerding out about who would win between alien and Predator. But amongst the whole team, they're all very likable. Sadly, there's one character that is likable. But let's just say that as you, you know, especially if you're like a writer or if you watched enough movies or played enough games, you can kind of see where this character is going to go. And you're like, oh, man. But uh, outside of that, th- th- this is actually a very compelling group. So even if the story is very thin veiled, I at least knew that I had a compelling uh group of characters to kinda of keep me anchored somewhat. And so far I'm about two thirds of the way in. I feel like I just got done with a mission that kind of cements or kind of pins the turning point of the going from the second act to the third act and probably going into the final stretch of the game. So I'm thinking of about sixty to sixty five percent done. At least with the story. As far as hours, I think I'm about catching up on twenty because I am doing a mixture of the story and the side content. But as far as the way everything is evenly paced, I feel like, you know what? I'm liking the, the the cycle. I mean, it's it's funny because it's somewhat repetitive, yet the actual objectives inside of the story missions are different. Like that's the another huge strength with the game is that apart from the, you know, the characters being cool, the missions themselves, they're not, you know, incredibly special, but they're super varied to where even though, you know, in terms of like, The big picture, you complete a mission and then you talk to your hacker group and then they say, oh, we we can go in and and do this. It all feels the actual objectives and what you have to technically do inside of each mission is rather varied. Uh, After a while, there are a couple of uh, side quests or side activities that do get a little bit on the repetitive side where you're like, "Okay, I just have to hack into this box and then you do this puzzle, etc. Which some of the puzzles are pretty satisfying there's some that are just very straightforward and generic but then there's a couple of others that are my personal favorites Where you have to like arrange these little like little pieces to make sure that the signal is flowing through stuff that you might have seen in other games but here it feels satisfying to kind of use the bumpers to switch things around and get the power flowing and make sure that you know you're hacking into the system plus it never grows old to hack Certain items that just fuck with people, <laughs> whether it be the enemies um security guards or just random people on the street being able to take their money or sending them a uh, uh, make believe text message or just toying around with them. it's just it's it's fun. What is not fun, unfortunately, and this is where we start to get into some of the detriments, is that I don't know it's funny because I'm playing on normal difficulty, and yet there's some. Let's call it some spiky nature about the AI of some of the enemies that you need to avoid as far as stealth. Because much like with the first game, stealth is a huge pillar of the gameplay. Sure, you can engage in shootouts. Uh, Marcus can still use a gun. He starts off with a stun gun. But over time, you can then acquire actual guns or you know bigger stun guns that are like machine guns, but they only stun. They don't kill. Um, obviously you get more points and XP and, and and stuff like that to be able to utilize in your upgrade system very much similar to also the game as the first game as well where you can upgrade Marcus Holloway's arsenal to be able to hack into other better things or get a better grip on his weaponry or being able to you know toggle different things in the city etc cetera, etc cetera. an upgrade system that that is uh d- determined or it that is determined by the amount of followers your app gets. And it's funny because they use different terminology here they call it followers. You need to get more followers on the app. The followers are pretty much the XP. And every time you get more followers, you get more XP, and you get more XP you get you level up. And every time you level up you get research points, which are basically skill points that you can use in these trees to upgrade Marcus Halloway. That's cool and all. It's just that regardless of how much you upgrade, sometimes this AI AI is bugged, but I don't mean bugged in the dumb way, I mean, every so often there will be that enemy that is walking in place on top of a dumpster or whatever, a a casual, general, funny open world glitch, you know, the the likes that you've seen before in not, not only Ubisoft games, most definitely Ubisoft games, but also other open world games. Where it gets infuriating is when the AI gets bugged, but a little bugged in the direction of being a little too fucking smart. Too smart to where most recent, the most recent example I can think of, there's been a bunch of other ones, but the most, you know, most recent one is a mission that involves the island of Alcatraz. Not to go into any spoilers in case any of you were planning on playing Watch Dogs 2, but let's just say that, you know, obviously being Alcatraz, you gotta infiltrate it. However, the security here, it's funny because I'm pretty certain I've done other story missions. That had tighter security. Yet this security. You can take out a guy. At the top of the building. In the roof. Take him out. Silently. Or he'll turn around and see you. But of course before he can alert his buddies. You take him out. You press the circle button. You melee him. And he gets knocked out. There's a dude. That is outside of the building. But he's on the bottom floor. He's on the floor. He's on ground level. And yet, he starts calling for backup. I'm on the roof, taking out a dude, and yet he is on the floor, and he still is able to hear me and be like, I need backup, and everybody inside of Alcatraz gets alerted. Or, it, well, actually, no, I was going to say the, the prison inside of the Alcatraz uh, island. But honestly, it really ends up being all of Alcatraz because then a fucking helicopter comes through. A bunch of other people get called over by the ma- from the mainland. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. And it's, I'm like, and they empty glocks into me. I'm done in seconds. Seconds. Because Marcus can't take, like, more than two or three bullets. And he's done. He's got, like, three shots. and He's worthy of being able to take three shots. And he's dead. And yes, I know that there's a black joke in here somewhere. <laughs> Aiden Pierce was able to take more bullets, but Marcus can't. Gee, I wonder what's different here. <laughs> uh, it just does, It just didn't compute to me, though. It just didn't compute that I actually rage quit that mission. It was a side mission, and that's all ultimately why I felt like I could afford to, to rage quit without lowering the difficulty. Because I know that option is there. You can lower the difficulty at, at any point. But it's side quest. I'd rather go and continue denting out the main story, leveling up, and then hopefully maybe I'll come back with a different skill set that could help everything out. I know that there's a particular skill that allows me to shut down the infrastructure or the system of an entire building for like 30 seconds, so I could technically go in there. They won't be able to call for backup for at least 30 seconds, get in there, get the witness, and get out. But... Oh man, I I don't know what it was. And a couple of these instances of the AI being a little too smart uh have happened in the main story but not to a game-breaking point where I have no other option. Yeah, there's been there's been other options in those scenarios. But I'm just scared that it's just a matter of time before it does happen in this final stretch of the game. So I'll keep you guys updated as far as what my final thoughts are on Watch Dogs 2 on next week's podcast because I'm most most than likely going to be finishing it up by either maybe tomorrow, if not for sure, Friday. That way, hopefully over the weekend, I can knock out one of these short uh, six or seven hour experience games that I have lined up here as part of that 2016 pillar of backlog games that I have to get yet go through like... uh Soul Calibur Six, which is a fighting game, and Concrete Genie, and uh, also, oh, uh, Wolfenstein Old Blood, which I know is technically a prequel to the New Order, but uh, I was told by a bunch of people, one of my buddies, Surface Assassin, says, actually, it's meant to be a prequel, and I know it came out after New Order, but he recommends playing Old Blood first anyways, since it's chronologically that's the way you're supposed to play them. And I looked it up online. Apparently, it's like super short. It's like five or six hours. So I could crank that out uh, rather quickly. And I'm hoping to do that, you know, hopefully by this weekend after the wrap up of Watch Dogs 2. And I'll let you guys know what my thoughts were on that game next week. In the meantime, though, I also started a different game. Even though it's technically not a new game, it is a souped up remake, a somewhat updated remake of a Game Boy Advance game. That's actually one of my favorites from my childhood. Pokemon Omega Ruby. A remake of Ruby from the Game Boy Advance times. Uh, specifically, Game Boy Advance SP. I remember opening up my SP, turning on the light, and playing uh, Pokemon Ruby late at night. That that th- Those were some of my fond memories with that system. So, I was definitely going through some form of memory lane. Uh, playing or booting up Omega Ruby on my 2DS XL. And hearing updated mu- versions of the music, updated uh, versions of the of the visuals of the main character of the opening title sequence, as well as some of these talents you know it's got that fresh coat of paint that you remember from that are is reminiscent from like Pokemon x and y, you know and of course probably the most recent and somewhat notorious depending on who you're asking Pokemon Sun because apparently some people didn't like that game I have yet to play it I own it, but i', I haven't played it yet. Uh, Right before they officially started transitioning over to the Nintendo Switch for Pokemon games, as we now are practically going into. So, I started, uh, I've only played two hours of Pokemon Omega Ruby. Uh, And the reason why I haven't revisited it yet is because being that it's uh, on one of my handhelds, and it's part of my handheld, uh, one of my handheld backlogs, which are my two shortest backlogs, my Vita and my 3DS, I told myself, okay, yes, I want to get these backlogs out of the way, especially before the Steam Deck comes out. But at the same time, I know that there's only literally like four or five games on each of those backlogs. So once I get done with those, those hand, handhelds are it. And at that point, only the Switch and if I decide to go through with my pre-order, the Steam Deck will be my only handhelds. But it's also, you know, tugs a little bit at my heartstrings knowing that after that, you know, the 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 2DS or 3DS library, as well as the Vita library, they're gone. You know, they're done. I don't have to pick those systems up anymore. Um, So I'm kind of taking my time a little bit, procrastinating Omega Ruby a little bit. Plus, being that it's on a handheld, it's arguably the type of game that I feel better suited to play when I'm not at home, when I'm out and about, whether it be waiting on something in the car or if I'm working or if I'm waiting for traffic to die down, etc. You know, playing it, I, I know I can play it at home, but when I'm home, my attention is going to be more so to the fact that I could be playing something on my PS5 or on my Series X, not so much, or even on my PC, uh, not so much on, on my handheld. So because of that, I'm like, you know what, this is the type of game that I will definitely play when I'm actually out and about, um, outside and away from home. And so because of that, I've only played, I've only had one time this week to be able to actually put some good time into it and because i'm only about two hours in granted it's a remake so i already know how this unfolds i already know how the game plays out i guess for the most part like i said it it's that original ruby game but just with that coat of paint that you that you saw in pokemon x and y and pokemon sun and moon the only other little details that i didn't notice are a little bit different that i'm like okay that's pretty neat is the sneaking option, being able to sneak into... And they, they carried this over somewhat from uh, Pokemon X and Y, where you can see, like, the tail of, of certain characters, of certain uh, Pokemon pop up in the grass, so you can kind of pinpoint exactly where the Pokemon are, or at least that specific Pokemon is. Um, you're still going to get, you know... Ambushed by some fuckers hidden in the grass. But at least you can see a tail pop up And the reason why that is. Is because you can actually have your character sneak up on him. And gain the upper hand during battle. So by tilting the stick. They call it the stick. But it's rather the, the disc. You know on the on the 2DS or 3DS. You, your character will actually start sneaking. And it's funny because it's actually rather intuitive. Like I was scared that the disc is not going to be able to read when I want to sneak versus when I want to just walk or run. But it it does. There's actual, it's actually able to split the travel distance between the center of the stick and then one direction or the other to be like, okay, halfway through, up until the halfway point, if you move uh, the stick slowly, the character will start sneaking. And it it goddamn actually works. I was actually pretty surprised about how well it works that I was actually able to sneak up on a handful of Pokemon. So I thought that was actually pretty clever that they incorporated into that. One feature that is neat that is inkier, but I personally don't think I'm gonna really utilize all that much is that little, like, the de- detection function, if you will. Basically, the function that allows you to kind of Gain knowledge about where Pokémon resides amongst the grass, specifically, uh, which only works after you've already encountered that Pokémon a number of times. So, for example, I was trying to look for a Puchiana, and I I came across the Puchiana about two or three times, a couple of times in the wild, and then a couple of times uh, by a uh, Pokémon battle with a character or a trainer, and through these encounters, the little magnifying glass on the bottom screen whenever I went into different routes would actually tell me like, oh yeah, that Pokemon can actually be found in this block of grass as opposed to that other one. And I'm like, alright, that's kind of neat. Except, you know, once I catch that Pokemon, whether it be through the magnifying glass or by just randomly, I really have no other use for this tool. Especially since I decided to kind of take a unique stance here and I told myself then I'm going to try to not catch that many Pokemon. In fact, I'm going to keep my team rather small because I noticed that my last Pokemon game that I played, which was, uh, well, I was going to say Sword and Shield, but let's look, let's keep it within the 2DS, 3DS family, Pokemon X or Y, I think it was, Pokemon Y. I caught way too many Pokemon, and I was favoriting some over the others, even if there were different types versus the, the ones that I should have been utilizing for certain gyms. That I'm like, I don't want to overwhelm myself. And because of that, I'm going to keep the team rather tight. And because of that, I'm like, I'm pretty certain that I'm going to pass up an awful lot of opportunities of utilizing this little magnifying glass feature. So... Yeah, uh, those are the only things that stood out to me um, most broadly amongst playing Pokemon Ruby or Mega Ruby for literally just two hours. I'm going to try to play some more between now and next week's podcast, so hopefully stay tuned for my final thoughts on Watch Dogs 2 and further development uh, of thoughts on Pokemon or Mega Ruby and whether or not I'm going to be up for you know starting up Sun or if I'm going to just jump right into Legends Arceus when that drops at the end of this month. Um, because as it looks like, I'm going to start running out of time with this new full-time job. And because of that, there's going to be some games here at the beginning of the year that I might have to push off into a later lull in the summertime. Because as far as time management is concerned, I might just not have too much of that. Especially when uh, some people out here are trying to tell me that their game could take 500 hours. Okay, even I'm a little proud of that segue right there because as we've seen here in this first quarter of 2022, there's actually a surprising amount of bangers coming out amongst the gaming industry. As far as, ga- it's funny because we got quite a bit of ga- bangers and then a good chunk of them are actually games that were supposed to come out in 2021 and got delayed, but we've seen, you know, we've talked and seen uh, how the pandemic was definitely going to affect last year, not so much 2020, like, we made that abundantly clear, and we're seeing, a little bit of that ripple effect finally kind of come to a full circle here, in the sense that now games are finally coming out. or finally, and a lot of these have actually have gone gold. So it, there's no really looking back, except for like patches and things to kind of polish up the game and make it even better. And as I mentioned a little earlier, as I was talking about Pokemon Omega Ruby, we got Pokemon Legends Arceus or Arceus. I think it's Arceus, at the end of January, specifically January 28th. So we're just a little over two weeks away from that that game's release. I gotta be honest, I don't know what it is, but I, I definitely am going to look out for those reviews. But if even then, I'm like, I, I just started Pokemon Omega Ruby. I think this could wait. And because of my relationship with Nintendo and the way I'm feeling about their Pokemon games and all that stuff, I'm kind of like... I'm gonna wait, especially if reviews come back saying that, sure, it's not, like, I'm not expecting bad reviews, to be honest, I, I really am not, I don't think anybody's gonna really say anything, uh, un- unless it's genuinely a piece of dog shit, I don't think anyone's really gonna come forward and be like, oh yeah, it's a bad game, I think, at worst, if you wanna look at it that way, there's gonna be, like, a lot of, you know, reviews with, like, 7 out of 10s, or maybe a couple of 8 out of 10s, but it's mostly, like, 7 across the board, then honestly right there is where I'm going to be like, alright, yeah, I'd rather save my money for now, especially since it's at the end of January, and, you know, look for it around the summertime. I'm not talking about a sale here, because obviously it being a first-party Pokemon and Nintendo game, it's not going to get discounted anytime soon, so I'm just going to, you know, kind of reserve the money for now and just going to put it towards something else. At the beginning of February, however, we have a game that started to make headlines earlier this week, in a very divisive way, and that's Dying Light 2, because Techland, the developers, took to, I don't know if they took it to their website, but for sure they did it on Twitter, on the official Dying Light 2 Twitter account, announcing, or rather declaring, that in order to 100, or as they called it, complete the game, like the tweet just said, in order to complete the game, and it was like a graphic, to complete Dying Light 2, it will take 500 hours. And then they would do a comparison thing about how, like, oh, it takes 500 hours to walk from Warsaw to some other, you know, city over there in, in like, the Polish area of Europe or whatever. So, I'm like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly where those those places are. I know them by name, but I don't know exactly where they are. So, I'm sorry, but I, I, that's just went over me completely. What did not go over me is seeing that you're telling me it's going to take 500 hours. However... I was very keen, and I did notice their, 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 their very direct use of the word complete. Because when I, as a gamer, think of the word complete, just like with Jared, aka The Completionist, over on YouTube, great guy, by the way, I, I feel kind of bad that I started watching his videos only recently, and finally thought, I thought to myself, why was I not watching this guy a lot earlier? Like, you know, the, the amount of effort... That, that, that's the big hook to me about Jerry the Completionist is the amount of work he puts into completing some of these games. And 100% of them, I'm like, bro, how the fuck are you this patient? <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, so check him out. Yeah, shameless plug here, even though he's already got like a million subscribers. But uh, check him out uh, nevertheless because he's actually, he he deserves it. He's pretty cool. So I look at the term complete and I think of Completionist run, runs. In other words, 100%ing a game. Meaning doing every single thing. And that's where the conjecture of it being called, uh, of it being, of saying 500 hours, felt a little more right to me. It's still overwhelming. It's still a giant amount of time. But it definitely felt, I definitely felt at ease knowing that that's more so like to complete, not to just do the main story or to do the playstyle that I like to do, which is the story plus some side content. Then I thought to myself, okay, so uh, let me use this as a form of measuring tool. I can assume that maybe it'll take still a good chunk of time to do the main story and side content. A couple of days later, then Techland once again through that Twitter account um, kind of reiterated and and doubled down on their explanation of this, you know, time that it takes to finish or complete Dying Light 2 and some better clarification as they put it so they put up another graphic and this one definitely broke down the three different play styles so it definitely at the far right end it showed 500 hours to do every single thing and it says right there main story all choices all endings which require multiple playthroughs so that's already padding out the game even longer because you have to literally play the game over and over to do the different choices and the different uh, endings, which I assumed because I remember when they showcased the game last year and even the year before that, they were talking about how certain choices you make on the story will affect how this area of the environment will look or feel or act towards you versus this other one. I'm like, if you're making choices and this game takes 500 hours to 100%, I'm pretty certain that some of those goals, some of those achievements or trophies that you need to get for either PlayStation or Xbox are going to require you to try out those other choices to then get credit for that 100% completion, which means you have to replay that mission or rather just replay the whole story entirely. Um, And I, I ended up being right. That's pretty much where the 500 hours comes from. To do just the main story on the far left, it says 20 hours. Okay, that is easily digestible. That is easily like, okay, that totally makes sense. 20 hours just for the main story. Smack dab right in the middle is my playstyle, which is to do the main story and then the side content or the as they put it the side quests, but that's it. You're not doing multiple runs, you're not doing uh, the different endings, you're not doing doing different choices or even the uh, 100%ing the collectibles and all that stuff. So, main story and then just the narrative side quests, 70 to 80 hours. That fits more in line with the way I play these kind of games, these kind of open world games. Nevertheless though I had to make an adult decision here and I decided or well, for now I'm deciding uh, sub- uh I'm going to go ahead and add a little asterisk giant asterisk here subject to change but n- st- especially now knowing that only the main the, the main story now only takes 20 hours well, only but it's still a long time for a lot of other people but I got to be honest I had, like, the majority of me, like, the biggest part of me, 75% of me, kind of wants to put off Dying Light 2 as well. Just like I mentioned with Pokemon Legends Arceus, there's a part of me that wants to put off Dying Light 2 to a later time in the, either the spring or the summer, like, either in April or June, where I look at the calendar and there's nothing scheduled. I know that right now there's a bunch of games that are scheduled for 2022, but they don't have an actual release date, and that could change. I could fill in those slots throughout the year. But right now, I know off the top of my head that good chunk of April and June and July, there's nothing huge coming out. In May, I believe, is when we're getting Forspoken. And then in March is when we're getting Stranger Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. As well as, there was one other game that was coming out, but I can't remember. Um, so those two particular months, I could play this game in. And, and actually, you know, play it the way I want to play it without rushing it, without feeling like I need a, you know get it behind me because two little factors here that play into this decision of wanting to put up Dying Light 2, despite it definitely being one of my day ones of this year thus far. A, I'm starting that new job again, uh, as I mentioned before, on January 24th. It's a full-time job, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, which means I'm only going to be able to game once a day for probably only about two and a half, maybe maximum three hours, but realistically two to two and a half hours uh, at nighttime because sandwiched in there is going to be my time to edit my own YouTube content to, um, you know, eat dinner, you know, hygienics, you know, shower, all that stuff. And then there's going to be the occasional day where I'm not going to want to play because either I'm hanging out with friends or hanging out with the girlfriends. So it's going to take a lot longer than like a couple of weeks. It's going to take like probably up to a month to play a game on my own pace, like Dying Light 2. And that then brings up the second reason, which is that just two weeks later, actually, not even two weeks later, four days later, we have Sifu coming out, which is on my radar. I, it's not necessarily a day one because I got to be honest, for the scope and scale of the game, I, it, the game definitely looks you know, interesting, especially with the whole aging mechanic and the kung fu and all that stuff. But $50, I don't know what it is, but there's something about that $50 price tag that kind of makes me go... This better be like a nine out of ten from a lot of people, you know. This better score like a ninety percent or even an eighty percent on Metacritic, and if it doesn't, for fifty bucks, just ten dollars shy of a triple A pricing, uh, priced game, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like a, a lot of people are supremely hyping up Sifu. like there's like two or three, um, streams, two or three communities on Twitch that I'm a part of, that I, that I like to watch. And there, when the streamer talks about the games they're looking forward to in 2022, a lot of people just come out of nowhere and start dumping Sifu in the chat. And I'm like, I really hope you guys are not overhyping this game. <laughs> I really, really hope not. But we have Sifu coming out on the 8th. But to me, to me personally, more importantly, about a week later, actually, no, not a week later, like a week and a half later, the 18th Horizon 2. Forbidden West. You honestly think, especially with the new full-time job, that I'm going to be able to wrap up in my own playstyle, which, according to Techland, takes about... Let's let's lowball it and say 60 to 70 hours. Not even 70 to 80. 60 to 70 hours. You think I can squeeze that in with a full t- with a brand new full-time job that requires an awful lot of my attention because I'm just getting started. in at the beginning of February, between the time that Dying Light 2 comes out and Horizon 2 comes out? Yeah. So... Got to be honest, guy, I think I might punt Dying Light 2. I think I might just pick it up day one because I don't want to miss out on that deluxe edition that comes with the steelbook. (laughs) Uh, You know how I love my steelbooks. But aside from that, I think I'm going to punt that towards later in the summer and make Horizon 2 Forbidden West my first, like, decidedly day one game of the new year. Like, that's the game that for sure I'll start playing day one for sure uh, regardless of where I'm at as far as backlogs or whatever so officially I got until the 18th of February so a little over a month to get as much of my PlayStation and 3ds and Vita backlogs done as possible I don't know about the Vitas or the 3ds because again they're handhelds I like to play them when I'm not at home so on console I'm realistically looking at PlayStation, and then maybe a couple of Game Pass games from Xbox, specifically Fable, just to make sure that nothing gets taken out from Game Pass that I was planning on playing. And hey, we'll are definitely have we we'll definitely have our pockets of, of low moments and, and uh, non-releases going on during the summertime, especially after Stalker 2 has been delayed, which is a breaking piece of news. As of this morning, Stalker 2 got delayed until literally the end of 2022. I think they said specifically December, and it was supposed to come out in May. That's a whole seven months. So for those of you who were looking forward to that game in May, look at that. You now have some more time to get some of these earlier, uh, heftier experiences from the year get done and over with. And last topic for this week's podcast, I finally wrapped up since last week's, because I was in the process of watching it, and I was kind of watching it in chunks, because I know it's already divided into multiple episodes, but then those episodes were also like 40-45 minutes, and I'm like, I just want to watch about 20 minutes of this before I go to bed, Uh, it kind of lulled me to sleep, if you will, so that's why it took a little longer to consume, I didn't binge it, but I finally wrapped, not too long ago, the documentary series that's up on Xbox's official YouTube channel, called Power On, The story of Xbox, practically. And it's made out of six videos, six chapters, if you will. Each one averages between half an hour to 40 minutes. I think there's one that's like 42 minutes. But that's the average uh, runtime of each video. And it it was actually rather fascinating. I actually really, really enjoyed. And I'm frankly going to miss watching this documentary series because it was very enlightening to see what it actually included. Because it starts off, obviously, chapter one, It's all about the first Xbox, but it doesn't just jump right into the making of that first Xbox. It actually starts with just that nugget, that idea, that inception and where it got created of what if Microsoft, who's known for doing just software and was very adamant about just being software they would even showcase little interviews that bill gates would have back in the 90s where uh, he would say that no we're just going to be making software we're just going to be making microsoft uh you know windows the windows operating system the different iterations at the time it was windows 95 and then microsoft office 95 and microsoft office with like word excel powerpoint all that stuff and it really breaks down where the specific brains uh can't, and the brainstorming came from of someone saying, you know, we should do a console. We we, we should, uh, you know, think about getting into gaming. Um, and how much pushback there was a little bit of that, uh, some of which was from Bill Gates himself, um, some doubt uh, from him and, you know, the other members of the board, etc. And, that's pretty much all of, uh, the, pretty much not just episode one, or chapter one, but even chapter two. Like chapter one and two are all about that first Xbox, which to me, I think is actually not to say that it went downhill from there, but to me personally, my favorite part of this whole Donkey series was those first two chapters showing, you, you know, and th- there's a little bit of a bias here because it showed the making of that first Xbox. It also showed archive footage of other competitors such as the GameCube, uh, PlayStation 2, and just all all around a bunch of gaming footage from the early 2000s that it did paint a nostalgic picture in my eyes as I watched these first couple of chapters, these first two uh, videos. And all the while, just showing, you know, the upcoming of uh, Microsoft and the Microsoft's development about how to sandwich in certain components of the box into what was originally going to be a a literal Xbox, like a little uh, thing that's shaped to be an X. That's the only thing I'm going to... kind of, sort of, spoil here for you, I guess, you know, spoiler alert, but that's it, I'm not going to talk about anything else, I'm just going to say that it starts off with that, and then, of course, eventually, it's going to move its way into the creation of Halo, and how Halo became the, the face, even though, which is ironic, because, you know, it's Master Chief, he doesn't have a face, he doesn't show the face, at least not in clear daylight, in clear, you know, perspective, but, How Halo was created. It's not a. But it's cool that they're like. There's not not a Halo documentary. This is a Xbox Legacy documentary. So they touch base. On how Halo was created. While at the same time. Never fully being like. Whoa. In order to make Halo. Like that. No, No. It still focuses on how. Much of a role Halo played. In the. Marketing of Xbox. And the growth of Xbox. And then from there. It goes on into the 360. And of course. Of course. They could not cover the 360 without covering the infamous or dreaded and dark period that was the Red Ring of Death for the Xbox 360. And that's actually also another great strength about this entire series is that through and through it admits how many times X- uh, Microsoft and Xbox fucked up. From the Red Ring of Death to the Xbox One having to be having to have the Kinect in there and being always online. Admitting that uh, PlayStation's jab at them for being able to share games and not share games was warranted. Uh, it, it was deserved and how fucked up it was. Uh, people leaving and admitting why they were leaving. The interviews that they're having from the journalists that were covering Xbox to the people who worked at Xbox and has since left or are still there. It's actually a worthwhile documentary. I would probably say my only problem is that it's around the period of the late later years of 360 and the creation of the Xbox One a little bit. You know, I, it, with the Xbox One, they tackled the whole TV angle quite broadly and in, in very, uh, you know, in front of your face, like very, uh, you know, up front. But I do wish that they would have spent a little bit more time on some of the properties that really spearheaded the Xbox, such as Forza. Uh, they, they talk about Forts and they talk about Gears, but they don't talk about it this way that they talked about Halo. Which kind of makes sense, because like I said, Halo was there from the beginning, but I kind of wish... It, I, I feel like there's at least one chapter missing. Like, just one. Like, I don't feel like we even need two. Like, just one to tackle some of those first-party... Uh, companies, especially more so with the Xbox One. Uh, I did appreciate the spotlight on Phil Spencer and how he was able to te- uh, turn around that ship. And then after a while, the, the the at the end with Chapter Six, it does rush a little bit towards the end to catch up of where we're at right now as far as how awesome Game Pass is and how the you know how the Series X played into uh, you know focusing on gamers, et cetera, et cetera. But those are my only little qualms with the overall thing. Other than that. It's actually a really good series, and it's free. It's up on YouTube. It's on Xbox's uh, platform or their their channel, and you can watch it back to back to back and binge it, and it's a really good uh, introspective look at the legacy of Xbox. It's really captivating because you really think about it. It really is the underdog. They really are the underdog. I mean, yeah, it's Microsoft. It's a giant tr- billion, possibly even trillion-dollar conglomerate at this point, but... When you think about the competitors, Nintendo and PlayStation, who've been around since the 80s and 90s, you know Xbox is technically the underdog. They came in at the turn of a literal turn of the 21st century, and to see them being relatively the new players in this game, um, seeing that they had to take the bruises to create something now that is, you know, seeing the the people that were like. You can tell from the interviews they were way over their heads and like, oh my god, this, you know, this could kill me. This could legitimately kill me in my career. And now I'm I look down underneath my microphone here and I have the Series X towering right there in front of me. And how much I actually am loving this thing, probably a little bit better than the PS5, because of Game Pass, because of the accessibility, the backwards compatibility with the, not only the games but also the controller. It's 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 quite, um. Quite a revelation. It it really is. It it really kind of opened my eyes to the way uh, Xbox played out. And actually made me feel a little bad that I didn't really invest in Xbox uh, much earlier. Because, you know, I I will be the first to admit that it really was Nintendo first and then PlayStation second when they started doing the whole Wii thing. And I didn't really get my first proper Xbox until the one in 2015 when they, they, in 2015 when Phil Spencer came in and finally said, no connect. No connect. We're slashing a hundred dollars off the price. They slashed another fifty dollars off because it was holiday season. That was like a deal, or whatever. And I finally got my Xbox One, and it was that VCR-looking one, but it didn't have the connect. That's that was my first Xbox. And watching this docu-series actually made me think, made me wish that I would have started with the original, working my way to the 360. Albeit, I probably would have waited. Uh, until <laughs> if there, if there was any moral to the story, is that the is that the, um, the, the, the red ring of death definitely, you know, delivered the message that uh, aside from at least doing it once, like I did with the series X and the PS five, don't get a console day one. Don't cause then you're going to get red ringed. And, uh, if I was to have gotten a 360, it definitely would have been one of the later models. That's like the blacker, the black sleek looking one, the, the slim or the elite, I think it was called. Um, but overall, I highly recommend that series. Even if you're not a huge, even if you're not Xbox, even if you're not team Xbox, you team PlayStation or, or Nintendo, I actually still recommend, again, it's free. I still recommend checking out the Docker series because it's actually worthwhile. And with that, I'll leave you guys for the week. I. Told myself this was going to be a slightly shorter and tighter uh, podcast, but more straightforward to the point with these topics. Uh, Look to next week's podcast with my final thoughts on Watch Dogs 2, Pokemon Mega Ruby, so many more um, news and developing uh, stories, as well as other things to talk about amongst the gaming industry, the movie industry, anything that pertains to uh, Spider-Man or Batman. The Batman just got rated PG-13 to surprising no one. Although I'm very... um, intrigued by the amount of uses of the word strong in the description for said pg-13 rating so that's rather interesting but nevertheless though thank you guys for listening all the way to the very end uh keep in touch by the social media links in the description twitter instagram the website the po- well you're listening to the podcast but of course the official youtube channel youtube uh well i don't have a url for it yet but you can check out the link in the description for the what i like to call the v2 channel not the miscellaneous one although you can check out the miscellaneous one. But the V2 channel, which is the Spider-Man Batman centric one, that's the one that's more up to date. I upload every Tuesday and Friday unless there's some kind of change in the schedule or some kind of thing gets in the way. Otherwise, guys, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys on the next week's podcast. Take care and stay humble.